Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we have been for the past several weeks. And because of that, I want to once again launch out of it and use it as our starting point. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul uh, discusses and identifies nine different supernatural gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to re begin reading in verse 7. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 in the New King James Version says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. We've discussed eight out of the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit so far in previous weeks. Uh, if you are interested in going back and listening to some of those, those are all up on our church website and podcasts, and they're available to be listened to if you missed one of them. Tonight, I want to spend what time we have left to address the ninth and the one that we haven't addressed directly yet, and it's the gift of prophecy. It's, it's prophecy. Um, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues that we discussed last week and I reviewed moments ago, uh, those relay a message from God to the church. And the gift of prophecy operates in a very similar way. It's similar to tongues and the interpretation of tongues, except for a couple distinguishing features that I will get into here in a moment. The most obvious, though, is that there's no tongues. There's not a message in tongues and then that requires an interpretation. Instead, it's a word from God for the church that comes directly in our native language, in our case, English. And so that's how the gift of prophecy will, will manifest itself. It will manifest itself as a an utterance, a message from God, uh, from one of the saints in the church in the native language, and it will be able to be understood by all immediately uh, as a message from God, and I'll, I'll expound on that definition in a moment. Uh, the gifts of utterance, the ones we've, we've, we've been in when we talk about the, the message in tongues, a gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and now prophecy, these are gifts of utterance. And I want to, again, I, I said this last week, and I want to say it again to, tonight, uh, just as a warning. It's possible for an utterance, it's possible for any gift uh, to be completely carnal, to, to, to appear to be a, a gift from God, a, a gift of the Spirit in operation, but in fact be completely carnal or even demonic. Um, let me explain what I mean. It's possible for the motivation behind a message in tongues or an interpretation or uh, a supposed word of prophecy uh, to be not divine in nature. It, the motivating force might be someone's flesh, and it might even be demonic. And so we need to discern, we need the discerning of spirits, to be in operation, to discern what's what, and we also need a deep and extensive knowledge of the Word of God because that too will help us discern 
whether a message, an utterance, is of God. Because if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not of God. Amen? So those things are guardrails for us. They balance us. They protect us. Um, Gifts of utterance are not the only gifts of the Spirit that the enemy tries to counterfeit. You may remember in the book of Exodus, there were sorcerers that worked miracles. And I hesitate to make qualification and try to explain those away as cheap parlor tricks because there's real power that the adversary has to produce things that I'm not in my flesh able to produce. It's something that is supernatural. It's something that's spiritual. But it is demonic in nature. Uh, You can go all... I was in Exodus for that example. I can go all the way to the book of Revelation and point you to where the book of Revelation says that there's going to be those that appear in the last days that start to work miracles and deceive many. And they're going to be operating in the power of the spirit of Antichrist. And so... It's not just the gifts of utterance that we need the discerning of spirits for. We need to be able to discern the spirits, and we need to have a deep and extensive knowledge of the Word of God. And if we will do that, then we don't have to worry about spiritual gifts being abused or leading us astray or us becoming, starting to do weird stuff. Because those things will help us and guide us and help us keep this, it's a very important apostolic distinctive. We, we cannot lose the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? We can't lose the gifts of the Spirit. Some, some have seen abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. They've seen people get weird. They've seen people get hurt. They've seen all these different things. And, they've, and, and because of that, they've completely abandoned the supernatural gifts. Some has gone so far to say, we don't allow them, or they aren't even for us today. And we know that's not true. They are for us today. We need to make space for them in the church, but we have to, we have to be wise. We have to be wise. Amen? Any questions? Comment? This is going to be one of those nights where we can yeah. inject. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I just, as you were speaking, I was reminded of a verse of Scripture found in 2 Timothy, or, verse, or chapter 3 and verse 8. And it was talking about, uh, I'll just read it. Now, as Janies and Jambres, do you remember who they were? They were the magicians in Pharaoh's court. said, Now as Janies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. need to read the whole chapter really to get the idea of what it's talking about. But it's, but it's talking about in, that, in their day. It says, In the last days, in verse 1, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. We're starting to see all this manifest uh, even to a greater degree than what it was back in the day. But 
to, to support what he was saying, um, the enemy has some, has some power too. Now, he does not have, he is not the opposite of God. Right. And he is not the dark equal to God. Right. And his power is limited by God. Right. But he does have some power. Uh, we've seen it in Pharaoh's courts when Moses threw down his rod. You've heard, you've heard me preach about it multiple times. You've heard Brother Dustin and others preach the same scriptures. He threw it down, became a serpent, and Pharaoh almost unscathed. It didn't bother him a bit. He wasn't. He was not influenced by that at all. Mm-mm. He just pointed to his magicians and wiggled his finger at them, and down their staffs went, and they become serpents also. Now then, here we sit today, and in the UN, uh, Art Wilson, who is who has been appointed as a, a UN representative one of our ministers in Detroit uh, baptized a lady in the UN who was dying of cancer. She only had days left. And he baptized her in a swimming pool in the UN and in front of all the other representatives that were present there to watch that baptism and even those that heard rumor of it afterwards. God healed her miraculously and she's still living today. I asked Art Wilson, what did these other countries think when they seen that? Because it makes you wonder, if you're present, what, what's going on, right? And he said, they weren't phased by it at all because they, number one, don't believe in Jesus. And number two, they have sorcerers and magicians that can duplicate the same thing. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, I'm, I'm telling you that they see those kind of miracles often. And so they were unfascinated by it. I was fascinated by it, but mm-hmm. he said they're unfascinated by it. That's the power that the enemy has, especially in other countries where we don't see it. You see these people that are sorcerers involved in witchcraft, and there's a plenty of witchcraft that's here, but it's flying under the radar, and we don't see it as much or as often as 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 what it takes place. But it's here. And here's and here's and this is this is something that's bigger. This is a big overarching uh, spirit of the age type thing. I'm about to say, but there's a reason why we don't why we don't detect what Bishop's talking about with the witchcraft that's present. And there's a reason why we have to teach so extensively, even in the ranks of the church, about spirit, divine spiritual gifts and miracles. And the reason is the same. It's because we live in the age of reason. We live in the scientific age. And even though we are people of faith, and we are people who believe in the supernatural, there is still this air that we breathe in our world today that the standard is you have to show me empirical proof. I need it to be able to be reproduced in a laboratory somewhere in order for me to believe. And that's, that's just the way that our, our minds are structured to process information and to process experiences. And so when we, people in other parts of the world, they don't necessarily process 
like that. It doesn't make them more or less intelligent. It's just a different framework that they use to interpret the world around them. They interpret the world more spiritually than even we do sometimes. They believe that there are spirits. They believe that there are dark spiritual forces. They believe that there is a supreme being. They believe in these things instinctively. They don't need a laboratory result to believe in these things. And so they're not impressed. They're not taken by surprise. They're not fascinated when somebody is healed of cancer miraculously because they're familiar with those sorts of supernatural activities in ways that sometimes even we have, as people of apostolic faith, sometimes we have to overcome some hurdles to get there sometimes. And we'll even say things like, I just don't know if I can't believe it. It's incredible. It, you know, I, I can't, you know, we'll use words like that and our words kind of give us away a little bit. Well, I just, I wanted to bring that point to your attention. And something else I want to mention before I yield my time on the floor. <laughs> uh, we wonder sometimes, we let our children play with demonic-influenced characters and toys and watch those kinds of movies. And they run around and play, and they call each other by the names of the characters of the movies they're watching and the toys they're playing with. And then, it, it, and it's cute. And they collect cards, and they collect pendants, and, they, and it's kind of cute until they become adults. Because when they were children, we as adults have allowed them to open a spiritual portal into their lives that now as adults, they're dealing with demonic activity that they opened up the door way back when. Amen? Right. We've got to be careful as parents and grandparents uh, what we're getting involved in. There's adults that do the same thing. Right. Hollywood's coming after you too. Don't right. think that you're exempt from that. And I know that we're a long way from prophecy right now. No. But, but it all ties together. Amen? In, in your belief and what you're involved in. And uh, as he was talking, I could see children playing with different toys and see movies that, that kids were watching and, and, and characters that they were portraying as themselves. And, and, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me. That's, that's the problem with the generations that we're facing now is we, we open that door and it's open. And let me, let me continue because we are a little bit away from prophecy at the moment, but we'll get back there. It's not enough. I'll go a step further. It's not enough just to keep that door closed. But you need to be doing some Deuteronomy 6 ministry in your home with your children and putting the word of God into them. It's not enough just to neutralize the threat. The word of God commands you as a parent, commands you to put the word of God into them. Not by osmosis by hauling them to church and letting them hear a message every week or a lesson. In the home. That's the truth. And if you're not, and if you're not doing that, you're not only failing your children and the next generation, but you are in disobedience to God. I know that's hard. 
But that there, is, there are few commands in Scripture that are more clear than that. And so I can stand on it and I can say it very directly like I am right now. It's not enough just to keep the door closed to all the wickedness in the world and all the influences that Bishop's talking about. We must be proactive about instilling the things of God into the next generation systematically and on purpose. Because with the force that the world is impressing itself on your children, you must match, equal, and surpass it with your willingness to press the word of God and the things of God into their life. Or else you will lose. You will lose. And if you happen, your kids happen to live for the Lord, they will do so in spite. It will be the grace and the mercy of God that they have done it. Anyways, I'm going to climb back down off this. Of, I had parents that put the word of God in me, and I'm tremendously blessed for it. So, anyways, go ahead. Before we move off of this, My blood pressure, because I feel like the the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is in this right now. What we're talking about, and sometimes I know we started out talking about prophecy, and we'll get back to prophecy, but the Holy Ghost is involved in what's taking place right now as far as the ministry, and we need to understand some things. Number one, you've heard me say that the that the enemy has conceded your generation as adults. To some degree, that's true. Uh, but the concession consists of this. If we're not fighting, we become lazy. Amen? If we're not in a So the enemy has conceded the battle to us and stood back and watched us withdraw from the fight and we're, in effect, we're beating our swords back into plowshares and we're farming when we should be fighting. Amen? Uh, you heard me say a couple of weeks ago as I was preaching, he's talking about prophecy and I was prophesying. I can hear the footsteps of the enemy marching toward us. Amen? That's a prophetic word that the battle is coming to us. It, and, and you can see it right now. But in a greater degree, you should be able to feel it. Amen? And don't think just because we're not fighting for our lives, our spiritual lives today, that there's still not a battle and there's still not a cause. Right. God left some of the enemies in the promised land for this purpose, just to keep Israel battle ready. Yeah. Amen? We should be battle ready. Right. It's the truth. More volume. We can, we can arrange for more volume. Um, is there somebody we can, 
you can have turn turn up the volume a little bit. Yes. You got to be able to do it all. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Now, I'm going to tell you that there's 40 verses in this chapter, and I'm not going to teach you over all of them. And here, and here in a moment, before we, before we leave this place tonight, one of my parting challenges is going to be, read this chapter and study it for yourself. There's a lot there. I'm not going to teach through it point by point tonight or in the weeks to come, but there's a lot of good material there, and I want to cover some of it. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So let me, let me, I, let me stop and make a point on each of those sections of that verse. It's a very short verse, but the first part says, pursue love. That means you need to look back at the previous chapter and see that it is all about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about love. Everything that 1 Corinthians 14 is going to teach us, everything about spiritual gifts, is very closely tied in with love. It's all to be done in love. Love is the thing that governs the spiritual gifts. Love is the thing that should be the filter for spiritual gifts. And then the scriptures say, desire spiritual gifts. It's not inappropriate to desire spiritual gifts. It's, it, is an, it is an appropriate ambition to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. It's okay. And so I, I wanted to pause and say that because, uh, not as though you need permission, but I wanted to give you permission, pray for spiritual gifts. Pray that God would use you in the spiritual gifts. It's appropriate. And the scripture says that we can desire spiritual gifts. And then last but not least, the Apostle Paul says, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I don't think that that elevates prophecy into some super spiritual gift category that it alone resides in. But the Apostle Paul does. He says, especially that you may prophesy. So to, prof to prophesy, prophecy is to reveal or to predict with certainty by divine inspiration. The gift, it's the gift of a supernatural utterance directly from God that's in the language of the hearers, in our case, English. Sister Courtney, there's a slide that, I, that has a definition of the gift of prophecy. I think it's white, and it's, it's one of the ones that's been in there a while. That's the one. I wanted to, I, I thought this was good. It's a, it's a a gift of a supernatural utterance directly from God in the language of the hearers. Is there another one that's, that's like it, that's in the same? There we go. This has a few words that I want to make sure that we say out loud because they're, they're all fitting together into this, this gift. To supernaturally reveal, predict, guide, testify, or declare with certainty. That's the gift of prophecy in operation. Uh, it, it usually has to do with telling, foretelling the future uh, or also revealing something that's happening currently with an eye on the future. That's the gift of prophecy. Uh, it can take the form, a lot of times, uh, an anointed testimony, an anointed proclamation, anointed preaching. Uh, it's supernatural direction uh, of guidance as a result of the revelation of the future. 
and it's in the language of the hearer, and it requires no interpretation. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a few things. First, I want to give you some biblical examples, because that's what we've been doing with all the other gifts, and I feel like it's really helpful to look to somewhere like the book of Acts and see it in action in Scripture. So I want to give you some biblical examples. Then I want to give you some clarification and some teaching, and I want to give you uh, a few modern-day examples, and uh, then an overview of 1 Corinthians 14 before we conclude tonight. Uh, I'll stop for questions here in just a moment, but turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is an instance where we see the gift of prophecy in operation. It's valuable to, to kind of circle and notice it because we get to see a gift of the Spirit in operation just in the life of heaven. It says, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be, notice the tense, there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So to put it in our language, a man stood up, gift of prophecy was exercised. He said, there's going to be a great famine. Everyone received it as an authentic word of prophecy, and they acted upon it by taking up an offering, a love offering, and putting it in the hand that was going to be affected by the famine. That's a word of prophecy in operation. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 21. It's 10 chapters later, completely different set of scenario circumstances. And in Acts chapter 21, you see a few different things happen uh, as a chain of events, and you see prophecy in action again. Acts chapter 21, verse 8 says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. You'll remember that the seven are from Acts chapter 6. They were appointed deacons. Philip is one of the seven deacons appointed in Jerusalem, but he's also an evangelist. So he, they stop at his house, and they stayed with him, and this man, Philip, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. It's just interesting that these four daughters get a shout-out and that we learn that they prophesied. Their special mention here, because they kind of just get a little cameo appearance, their special mention probably indicates that they not only preached, but they also prophesied. They also operated in the gift of prophecy. Um, not just a preaching ministry of proclaiming the gospel, but also the gift of prophecy at work in these four daughters of this man named Philip. The next couple of verses, verse 10 says, and we, as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus, very possibly the same guy from Acts chapter 11, maybe a different guy by the same name, but it would be a coincidence if it was a different guy. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own hands and feet. So Paul's wearing a belt. He says, Paul, can I buy? And he proceed, the Agabus proceeds to bind himself with Paul's belt around his own hands and feet, and then gave a message and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands 
of the Gentiles. That's a word of prophecy over Paul. If you rewind into the beginning of this chapter, Acts 21 verse 4, you'll see that there's some other disciples who have basically given Paul the same message already. In verse 4, the disciples stayed with him seven days, and they told Paul, they told Paul through the Spirit to not go up to Jerusalem. They've basically given him the same message. Then 10 verses later, Agabus comes to town, takes Paul's belt, gives him an object lesson, and, and then a direct word of prophecy and says, if, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you up and hand you over to the Gentiles and take you prisoner. That's a word of prophecy in action. I'm going to come back to that, uh, the Paul and Jerusalem thing here in just a few minutes. In my experience, an utterance of prophecy is almost always followed by an action, some kind of response. Acts chapter 11 they declare there's going to be a famine, and what organically happens? They take up a love, they, they respond in kind, and they say, well, as a result of that word of prophecy, we, we, we consider it to be valid and of God. We're going to receive a love offering and send it to the area that the Lord says is going to be affected. There's a response that happens as, as a result of this word of prophecy going forth. Um, it happens in Acts chapter 21 as well, and, and I'll return to there here in a moment. But we need to know, the reason I opened that door is because we need to know how to apply a prophetic word. We need to know how to apply a word that comes from God. Uh, first and foremost, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 teaches us that the person to whom the word is given must decide what it means for them. That means you. That means you have to be full of the Holy Ghost, led by the Spirit, able to discern what is of God, knowledgeable enough about the Word of God, have a vibrant enough prayer life where you have an open channel of communication with the Almighty, that when a word of prophecy or a word from God comes to you, you are able to discern what it means and what action it might be calling you towards. That's why it's important to know that the gifts of the Spirit are for the edifying of the church. And since the church are those who are filled with the Spirit, then the church must be sensitive to and led by the Spirit. And when we receive a word from God, when you receive a word from God, you need to be able to be in the place where you can start to process what is this authentic, what does this mean for me, and what kind of response do I need to have? Now, the gifts of the Spirit are never going to undermine your spiritual leadership. The gifts of the Spirit are never going to cause disunity between you and your pastor or you and your brothers and sisters. The reason that I'm placing the emphasis on this is because we have pastors, we do not have priests. There does not need to be a mediator between you and God. You have a pastor. If you'll allow yourself to have a pastor, that's a decision you make. But you have a pastor. You do not have a priest. It means that you need to have a personal relationship with the Lord that is alive enough to where when something like this comes into your life, you don't immediately have to confer 
with a third party. Now, you do need to seek counsel in certain situations, and you do need to have an open line of communication with your pastor, especially if there's a word of prophecy that might have significant um, repercussions in your life if you should act upon it a certain way. You need to counsel about that. But your first gut instinct needs to be, has the Lord already spoken to me about this in my prayer time? Not, has the Lord spoken to my pastor about this? Has the Lord been dealing with me about this? You understand the distinction I'm making? I'm not saying that you, you, you have one and you don't have the other. I'm saying the first line of defense, as it were, would be to ask, has the Lord already been dealing with me about this? Do I feel a witness to this in my spirit? Have I been praying? In my prayer time, has the Lord dealt with me about this? Has the Lord revealed something from his word to me about this? Have I felt impressed or prompted in the Holy Ghost about this? Did a recent message that somebody preached or taught impress me in such a way to where I've, been kind, of, I've kind of had a beacon up and I've been feeling after the Spirit on this topic? We, we ought to be in the place as individual saints of God filled with the Holy Ghost we ought to be at the place where that, what I just described, is our initial response, is your initial response to receiving a word from God into your life. And then, if the circumstances call for it, absolutely come and confer and counsel with Bishop or myself. But I promise you, the first question I'm going to ask is, what do you feel? Have you been praying? Have you been in the Word? What's your fellowship been like? I'm going to take your temperature, and I'm going to try to figure out, did, did this Word come to you and hit a bunch of carnality? I hate to put it just that way. Did it come to you and hit, hit a bunch of flesh? Or did it come to you and find the Holy Ghost residing and living in you. That's, that's what I'm going to do, and that's what he's going to do. That's going to be our first. And, and if the answer is no, I'm going to send you back and say, not, not coldly, but I'm going to send you back and say, sounds like you need to pray over this. Because I refuse to put myself in the place of a priest. It doesn't do me any good, and it certainly doesn't do you any favors. I'm not going to insert myself in that position and rob you of the benefit of having a relationship with God for yourself. I will have to answer for that if I do that. If I get to the other side, I'm going to have to answer for everyone that I decided to play God with and rob them of a chance to have their own relationship with God. You understand what I mean? That's how I'm, I'm, I'm saying that from my heart because I want you to know what my heartbeat is. I, I, want to, I want to be there to serve in the role that the Lord has placed me in and to be a guide and to be a shepherd and to be a help and to be an ally with you, but I cannot do your praying for you. And I will not do your praying for you. I've only got the bandwidth to pray for me. To do my praying is what I mean. 
I've got to hear from the Lord for myself. And that doesn't mean that the Lord won't confirm something for you through me or through Bishop. The Lord may, you may receive a word of prophecy or a word from the Lord, and you may pray on it and come and talk to one of us, and we may confirm that for you and say, you know what? The Lord has been dealing with me, and I'll bear witness to what you're feeling and what you're, what you're sensing in the spirit. Absolutely, that's healthy. That's, that's great. That's the way the body is supposed to work. And here's, let, let me give you an example. Let's say I gave, the, we, we were talking in the office earlier this afternoon, and I, I used this example. Let's say I, I come to Sister Williams, my dear mother, and I've got, I feel like I've got, and she, let's just, we're not related, let's pretend, let's just say we're in the same church, and I've got a word of prophecy, and I say, I've got a word for you, this is hypothetical. The Lord told me to tell you that you're being called on the mission field to the nation of Brazil. Well, that's a pretty straight up and down word for somebody. Anyone ever had a word spoken to them? Maybe not that word, but you've had a word spoken to you, right? It doesn't have to be like you're moving across the entire planet, but you've had a word spoken to you by somebody, okay? Here's, what, here's the function of, of a word like that. That word will either, most of the time, what it needs to be is it needs to be a confirmation for somebody. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't take, a word of prophecy does not take the place of a prayer life. If the Lord has not been dealing with you about something as significant as that, and that's coming out of the clear blue, as a pastor, I'm going to advise you, you do not pack up your entire life and move to a different country because somebody came and dropped a word on you like that. It needs, a word like that will be a confirmation of something that's already been happening in your prayer life, maybe a conversation that's already been ongoing with your pastor, if it's something that you've been feeling, and it just might be that a word of prophecy or a word from the Lord supernaturally like that by somebody that really has no business, no knowledge of any of your business and what the Lord's been dealing with you about, it can be a supernatural confirmation to you of something that the Lord absolutely would like you to act upon. That's why I said a moment ago, a lot of times a word of prophecy will require an action, a response of some kind. But it does not take the place of a prayer life. And it does not take the place of time in the word of God. And it does not take the place of a relationship with your pastor. So you need to keep it in its place. Any questions or comments? I want to be clear. I, I, I know we've charged out and we're out there now. Any questions, comments? I don't want to, it's not my goal to charge in tonight, open up a bunch of different jars, shuffle things around, and then leave us all feeling a little undone. I would say this. Uh, I like what he's saying. The person that comes and tells you to go to Brazil, we're using that as the example, right? It's the hypothetical. It's the hypothetical in the room. Uh, you're allowed to judge that person. Right. 
Don't feel bad by judging that person. Do they have some corn in the crib? Has God used them in this gift before? Right. Or are they, you know, if if somebody crosses the tracks and and they're th- throwing beer cans in the in the ditch all the way down here and they walk in here and tell you to go to Brazil, how are you going to respond to that? You know, make sure when somebody gives you a word that it's coming from a reputable praying in touch with God person. Let and your spirit let the spirit the Holy Spirit right. bear witness to that. And if you want bishops in the word, and I want you to mark it, first Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse twenty nine is let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all churches of the saints. You are allowed to judge whether it's of God, whether it's for you and even how you need to respond to it if at all. When I was young, I'd gotten into church, I had the Holy Ghost, I was pursuing and the the gifts and, and everything that God had for me. I always just wanted everything God could give me. I just felt like they were for me, amen? Uh-huh. Uh, I had some, I had a couple hem me up one Sunday morning and tell me that it was the will of God for me to go start a church uh, within a certain radius from where we were at. And it wasn't the will of God. Now, I was young and could have been persuaded, but the Holy Ghost checked what they said, and what they were really looking for was a puppet that they could control. That's what they were looking for. It wasn't from God at all. It's that they weren't going to submit to the man of God, so they were going to look for someone who had a, a, a trace of anointing on them and see if they could control them. Be careful because you can be zealous to do something for God, and there's some carnal people that will come up and tell you exactly what you want to hear. That doesn't mean it's the will of God. Just because it matches what you're feeling that God is going to do for you. You'll know when God and your calling align. Right. Think of, And you, you won't have to second guess it. Think of when Moses knew that God had something in store for his life, and he saw the Hebrew being mistreated by the Egyptian and went and slew the Egyptian. He, he tried to be the deliverer right then, and it wasn't time. It wasn't time. It wasn't the time or the place or the circumstances or the manner in which it was going to be accomplished. It was all wrong. And he did it in his flesh. He had an inkling of what God was going to do spiritually in his life, but he kind of did what Bishop just described. God will always prepare you, and he will never blindside you to the fact where you're, you just don't. He's not the author of confusion. We read it earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, he will give you direction. And it will be it will be godly direction, and and you can count on it from a reputable source. But I want to reel back for just one second to what he said. It all starts in your prayer life. Your prayer life. Amen. 
more than likely, and I can't say 100% because God's God and He can do anything He wants to do. You're, you're going to cultivate whatever's going to happen in your life through your devotion and your prayer by what you're putting in and what you're keeping out. It's, sometimes it's as, it's as simple as I'm not putting, maybe I'm not putting as much in as I'm supposed to be, but I'm keeping, I'm keeping everything else out. It's, it's a matter of, you know, we know what we should be doing, but we know what we shouldn't be doing too and allowing. Amen? Mm-hmm. Well, I hate to, I hate to get too far out there and, and start getting away from what the topic is. But God's not going to leave you alone. And, and, and when, when, if he tells you that God spoke to me that I would pastor a church. Amen? Mm-hmm. I didn't second guess that. I had, I think, three opportunities to take churches before I came to Bluff City. All three of them were out of the will of God. Amen? Just because an opportunity lines up with your prophetic word doesn't mean it's the will of God. Make sure it's God's opportunity. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Let me give you a few scriptures to bolster what what we're teaching here. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. There will be an interaction between your spirit and the spirit of God. There should be, if you're praying. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 15 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, capital S, the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. If God gives it to you, you'll know it if you've got the spirit. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. What that means is the spiritual man has, the spiritual person has insight into things, and that insight will baffle the world. You will know, but it comes from, it has its origin point in your prayer life, in your personal devotion. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 is the third one I want to give you, just to bolster what I'm teaching and let you know that this is the testimony of all of God's word. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want to go back before we conclude tonight to Acts chapter 21, in that instance where the prophet gave the word to Paul about going to Jerusalem or not. The scriptures go on to say in Acts chapter 21, verse 12, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But Paul answered and said, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not only ready to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So that when Paul would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, the will of the Lord be done. Isn't that 
Isn't that, doesn't how you need to hear from the Lord for yourself? Because here was disciples in verse 4, and a prophet named Agabus in verses 10 and 11, that both said, don't go up to Jerusalem. They're going to bind you. They're going to give you over to the Gentiles. You're going to be taken prisoner. It's going to go south in a hurry. Don't do it, Paul. And Paul, he knows what he's heard from God. He knows how he's counseled with those around him. And he says, I've got to go. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be captured. I'm willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. I've heard from God. I'm going to Jerusalem. Does that make the prophetic word any less prophetic? No. The disciples in verse 4 and Agabus in verses 10 and 11 were absolutely on the mark because that's exactly what happened. Paul went to Jerusalem and they arrested him. It was a spot on. They were absolutely true in what the prophetic word said. It comes down to, are you full of the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? And are you able to discern what to do and how to apply a prophetic word? That's what it comes down to. And what we see there is the Apostle Paul was right in the middle of the will of God. He decided to go to Jerusalem, and it opened up all kinds of doors that he otherwise would never... fact is, it fulfilled the prophecy that was put over him by the Lord Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to cause you to stand in front of kings. How did that come to pass? It came to pass because Paul went to Jerusalem, he was arrested, he was taken prisoner, and he was hauled across the Roman Empire in different courts of dignitaries, and he was able to preach to people in power. That's the whole second half of the book of Acts. It all came to pass because the Apostle Paul had the, where, the spiritual wherewithal to discern what the Lord would have him to do. I said earlier, I, wasn't going to, I, I didn't get any further really past verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I would that you would read it and that you would study it out. It's, it's, it, it's a rich chapter to study and to learn, uh, and to see what's going on. I, I, let's stand. I, I want to share a couple final scriptures because we're kind of reaching the later portion, the end of, of our discussion of these supernatural gifts. And these are the scriptures that I want to, to leave us with, and then I want us to pray over ourselves together and maybe link up with one another and just encourage one another in the Lord because this what we've been teaching about and what we've been discussing, this is something, this is the body. This is the body. This is the church. The scriptures say we are members in particular. We're all different parts of the body. We need one another. We need to be praying not just for ourselves, but for one another so that we can operate in spiritual gifts for the benefit of everybody. That's what it means to be a part of not just a church, but a healthy apostolic church. And that's the church that we all want to be a part of, amen? That's the church we want to be a part of. We want our children to be able to be a part of it. And we want this world to know that there is a church that is full of the Spirit and that believes that the things that we see happen in the Word of God is for us today. Amen. Romans chapter 16 and verse 19 says this, and this, this is a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church, and it's a prayer I want to speak over us. He says, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil.
There's things in this world that we don't need to get advanced degrees in. We don't need to be advanced in our knowledge of what's going on in the world. We need to be advanced in our knowledge of the Word of God and the things of the Spirit. We need to know and be wise in what is good. We should be childlike with regard to evil, and we should be advanced in our spiritual understanding, and we should be mature. You might ask, why? Why is that so important, Brother Dustin? And the answer in the second verse that I would leave us with tonight is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And it's this last phrase, according to the power that works in us, in you. These spiritual gifts that we've been talking about and teaching about are some of the means by which God desires to accomplish his will in the earth. And so what I want to do for this next few moments before we go our separate ways this week, I want us to return to what we prayed last week. Maybe you remember it. Our prayer was, God, do your work in me, but God, do your work through me through me. I think that's the difference, not the difference. I think that's where we go from being only Pentecostal to being apostolic. Because when we're Pentecostal, God sends his spirit and puts something in us. But when we decide I'm, we're going to be an apostolic church, we're going to be an apostolic family, and I'm going to be an apostolic saint of God, it means that I'm going to be sent. There's going to be a sending out of my life. I'm going to be a vessel and a conduit that God isn't just doing a work in me, but he's doing a work through me. Let's pray to that end. Let's lift up our hands all over this place, and let's just pray to that end with those scriptures in mind. Lord, I pray right now over this assembly and over my life. Lord, the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the Romans. Lord, I don't want to know more about what's going on in this world. I don't want to be, I don't want to be consumed or conformed by the things that are in this world. And Lord... I pray a blessing over this church and a hedge of protection over the saints of God. Lord, that those that are hungry for the things of God, that they would just have a hedge of protection around them. That, Lord, the voice of the adversary would just be diminished in their life and that they wouldn't be overcome with things like temptations and things that are appearing in their life that are trying to lead them astray, but that they would just have such a singular focus and a fixed attention on the things of God. Lord, that there would just be a maturity that would continue to develop in this church. Lord, that those that are a little bit younger and more inexperienced in their faith, that they would just have a hunger to learn about the things of God.